This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Matt D'Elia is Confused. This is Matt D'Elia. And this week's guest is the head of the transhumanist movement. Uh, his name is Zoltan Istvan. Zoltan is actually not only the head of the transhumanist movement, but he is also running for president, running for the Republican nomination for president. He's running against Trump. So he's coming at this from a pretty fresh and different angle caveat he knows i mean this should go without saying he knows he's not going to win the republican nomination uh just as my previous guest joe walsh knows he's not going to win the republican nomination actually to follow up on that joe uh who is my only return guest uh, he's been on the show twice he just dropped out um he just dropped out he said it was too much uh draining him and his family uh too much and, and a bunch of other shit. I mean, again, he also knew he wasn't going to win. I, I do find it interesting, though, that days after the very first time I interviewed him, he announced his candidacy for president. This is Joe. And, and days after the second time I interviewed him, he announced he was dropping out of the race uh, for president. I'm pretty sure I'm having a massive effect on the man. Um, and if I have him again on the show again for a third time, I'm pretty sure days after that, something fucking incredible will come out of his mouth. Don't know what it is. I don't even know what's still on the table. It was, I'm running for president and now I'm not running for president. I don't know what it could be, but I'm sure it's me. I'm the, I'm the common denominator on that. So I look forward to whatever I inspire to Joe to do next. But this week it's a, is about Zoltan, Zoltan Ishvan. Um, so the, I mean, I'm interested in transhumanism in general and, and, and Zoltan defines it, uh, for me and you guys, uh, at the top of the show. But just broadly, I, I'm actually gonna do a longer intro this time because Zoltan and I only had 30 minutes. He's a super busy guy, especially right now. The campaign's like, he's in the thick of it, but he was kind enough to give me 30 minutes. So I got a little bit of room, uh, uh, to, to do a longer intro. So that's what I'm doing. Trying, trying out this, this different, um, format, I guess. Um, but yeah, basically transhumanism, the idea of it is to use science and technology to modify human life and the human experience. Um, 
that generally means one of two things, and that's really it means you know it's the idea of men and machines. Uh, or mankind and machines merging, a sort of the, the thing you hear about called the singularity, uh, that Ray Kurzweil has sort of, uh, coined and made famous. Um, and, and I, I believe Zoltan, uh, mentions Ray, uh, and the singularity a bit during our conversation. Uh, the other thing that it, it usually implies or a transhumanist is sort of, considers as a main goal the other thing is uh to live forever um and 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 that sounds so lofty but it's it is their goal and and it is zoltan's goal and that is his express goal uh he talks about that as well in our conversation and and sort of what led him to the transhumanist movement in the first place is deeply connected to that uh fear of death and that that desire to live forever to stay here um I I have a I had a thousand questions for Zoltan um uh and I think I think if you if you pay close attention you can hear me talking faster to him asking questions faster because I knew I only had 30 minutes so I felt like I was on the fucking clock um but yeah I mean all uh, again th- this transhumanism thing this idea of man and machine merging this idea these ideas of living forever always fascinating to me. They're sort of key parts of the science fiction genre in general. And as a writer and just fan of science fiction, these kinds of things have always interested me. Um, I re I recently read this is before I spoke to Zoltan. I recently, uh, read a book written by a man named, named Michael Bess. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's called our grandchildren redesigned. And it's all about, uh, the coming tech revolution and how it might change things. Um, um, epigenetics, bioengineering, things like this. Once we can really alter our beings, alter our children, uh, change our genetic code, um, things like this, sort of, uh, designer babies. So the, 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 at the, as these questions are coming at us, as technology is showing us that many of these things are either in their infancy or full-blown ready to, to sort of be experimented with, um, a lot of moral questions are f- come flying at us with it. Uh, is it okay to, to do these things? And the book, I wouldn't say it scared the shit out of me. I mean, it kind of did, but more than making me scared, it made me extremely fucking anxious. Uh, hopefully I can have Michael Bess, the writer of that book, to come on the show and talk about some of the book as well. But Zoltan really, uh, as the head of the transhumanist movement, as sort of the face of it, I think provided me with um, an opportunity to, to really start digging at those questions uh, via the podcast. So what I want to do is in the coming months, the coming weeks, to have guests on who can sort of speak to different pockets of these, these, uh, the, these, these questions that are being posed to us, um, by oncoming tech, uh, specifically, uh, biotech and, and the engineering of ourselves to make better selves, smarter selves, stronger selves, what that means and how that might look moving forward into the world. Um, you know, I, I, this con- I had this conversation with Zoltan about about a week ago, and uh, the conversation touches a bit on 
this idea of living forever because it's a big part of the transhumanist movement and it's a big part of Zoltan's message, this possibility of living forever. And now he explains it better than I do. But when I say that, I don't mean you take a pill and now suddenly you're immortal. I mean, there will be slow enhancements to one's body and makeup to ensure either an extremely long life or basically a body that is more or less a machine that you can continue to update, tweak and fix into in perpetuity basically so it doesn't mean this sort of snap of the fingers we live forever now but it does mean this sort of slow climb up the ladder to this sort of quasi immortality now you can always throw yourself off a building and die but this basically means immune to disease uh um Things that kill us typically, um, we will be able to root out theoretically. Uh, uh, and so we talk a bit about this living forever thing. And I, I didn't get to ask Zoltan this because a lot of these thoughts came in the, in the week since I've started, I, I, we had our conversation. Uh, but specifically this idea of living forever. I, I'm, a, I, I I run into the illogic of that uh, uh, possibility rather quickly, which is that if some people can live forever, um, even if it's just a small amount of people, uh, one more generation forward, it would be more people and more people and more people and so on until the point where we have too many people who are never going to expire while at the same time, the population is still growing and growing and growing because, you know, unless we put caps on the amount of people babies people can have or whatever the fuck unless there's all these crazy stipulations about it overpopulation is only going to become more of a thing as we figure out ways to sort of uh manipulate our bodies into staying around a lot longer uh and so if these people don't have anywhere to go when they get to dying age aka death if they don't have death to go to uh, if they don't have hell to go to or heaven, whatever the fuck you believe in, uh, then we're just going to have too many people and that's going to happen really, 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 really fucking quick. Uh, and resources will be, will the, the acceleration of, of, of their, of, of them being used up will obviously take place. And it, it just seems to pose a lot of questions now, a lot of questions that I don't think really actually have answers, uh, or good ones at least. But that's all objective. That's all like me looking at it and saying, well, overpopulation is already a concern. Overconsumption is already a concern. If these people are never going to, you know, kick the fucking can, yet they're also going to make more people and the people that they make might choose to live forever and also might make more people. You see where this is going. This is a problem. However, this is sort of this cold objective view up close and personal one's view of this might change one's idea of is it good to live forever is it not good to live or live forever might change say if you if there's a loved one around you dying or if you yourself are dying uh these things uh th their complexion changes when they become personal and s since i spoke to zoltan i wouldn't say my perspective has changed but i've 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 been sort of rudely reminded of of why one might want the option to live forever or to have your loved ones live forever. Um, since I spoke to Zoltan, since we had this conversation, my eldest dog, uh, I have two dogs. I love them both very much. Anyone who knows me or follows me on Instagram 
knows I'm obsessed with my dogs and dogs in general, but my two dogs are the two greatest dogs in the world. Uh, however, as old things tend to do, my oldest dog, Billy, is on her way out. She's sick. She In the last week or so, we've, seen, we've found that she has um, kidney failure, among other things. But it's just not looking good. She, she, she's 17. She's coming to the end of her life. And it has become very, very clear that that's happening very, very soon. And it's made me think of this shit uh, 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 sort of anew. And this idea that I don't know how far away we are from it, but, but say this was uh, the, the, the technology to keep a loved one alive uh, was at my disposal and not just like alive, like breathing, but I mean living. Like if there was some rejuvenative thing we could give to her to make her feel a lot younger, to sort of do some death becomes her shit where she sort of rediscovers her youth or at least uh, her deterioration, her, her senescence uh, is halted. That, that, that is something because I fucking love my dog so much that I would consider. And I know that's just my fucking dog. I don't mean to say just my dog, like a cold hearted fuck. Nobody loves their dog more than I do, but say that was my, anybody in my fucking family. And there was this possibility that I could give them something that, uh, this is going to extend their life and make their life better by 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I don't fucking know. Do I want to do that? Yeah. Will I want to do that? Yeah. Should I do that? Uh, I don't know. But this is the kind of shit that, uh, we're going to have to fucking think about moving forward. And, and as far as Zoltan's concerned, I, as I tell him, I mean, I'm up front with him about it. I, whether I like the things he's saying are coming or not, whether I'm a fan of his, 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 uh, his ideas or not, that doesn't really matter. That shit's happening. All of the things that he's talking about, they are coming because they're not political. They're led by the market and science and those things don't stop. They don't stop. You know, they don't have to get elected. That's those, the, the things he's talking about coming, they are coming. And we can't really ignore it. And we need to be having conversations like this with people who know what the fuck they're talking about, like Zoltan. You know, and what I find particularly interesting about him is that he's a Republican and completely irreligious. He has none of that. He's totally secular. And so I think it's sort of this, this very interesting mix of, of qualities that it, he's, he's this sort of um, socially liberal but um, fiscally conservative uh, um, person that I think we're starting to see more and more of now that might become more and more of a thing. And I've talked in the past with some guests about a potential third party. If there's going to be a third party, my sense is, or a viable third party at least, my sense is it will be economically uh, conservative, fiscally conservative, and socially liberal. I'm, I feel like I'm seeing that more and more. That is a prediction. I mean, what the fuck do I know? But uh, I, in that sense, I think, and, and in many other ways too, I think Zoltan is sort of at the front line of the changing political conversation. But either way, this is shit that everyone needs to be fucking talking about. Um, the, the oncoming tech and what the fuck we're going to do in the face of it and how much we need to be ready and how much we are not ready. So without further delay... Here is my conversation with Zoltan Istvan. I had a fucking blast doing it. Thank you, Zoltan, for dedicating time to this. I know you're a busy dude. 
Um, I, I hope you guys all like it as much as I like talking to them. Here is our conversation. Okay. You know, um, for your listeners, transhumanism is a social movement of now many millions of people around the world that want to use science and technology to radically modify the human being and also to modify the human experience. And um, I'm, uh, you know, um, a, a writer, an activist, also now a presidential candidate. For your listeners, my name is Zoltan Ishvan. And, um, you know, I, I've been kind of helping to lead this movement for the last six, seven years through a lot of my journalism work, and I've seen this movement just explode. And so it's just great because what once seemed science fiction is now becoming sort of a reality. Right. And so transhumanism, just so I, I feel like when one says transhumanism, there's there's sort of, I think people vaguely understand, but they also kind of might get different ideas. For, for I think the way, what, is there like a simple definition for it that you use on the trail or, or in business? However, that, that sort of gives people the, 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 the barest grasp on it so they kind of have a way in for it? Sure. Well, I mean, the Latin is literally transhumanism. Latin means beyond human. Right. But generally, I mean, what people know it for is merging man with machine. Mm -hmm. And that's really the simplest way of looking at it. But, you know, a lot of other people know it as the number one goal of transhumanism is really to live indefinitely through science. So for some people, they don't want to be anything that has to do with machines. They just want to be biologically made perfect and we can do that through genetic editing or stem cells or even just you know 3d printing uh brand new organs for you from your own you know, your own cells so you know it, it, transhumanism is really all across the board between people who want to become machines and people who just want to be perfect uh you know human beings that are biological cells and you came at it specifically i mean i've heard you tell your story uh the national geographic and the near death sort of thing that sort of rattled you a bit so, and you're specifically coming from it from uh we can live forever angle at least that was your sort of entry point into it is that right well yeah so i was working uh, for national geographic as a journalist for many years uh in my 20s and um, i had a very close call of stepping on a landmine in vietnam while doing a story there and it just shocked me this kind of this episode of my life and so <clears throat> I, I just after that moment i kind of decided i should dedicate my life to overcoming death and when you look at the ways to do that especially if you're like me you're a secular person who doesn't really believe in an afterlife or god you have to look at science to achieve that and you know lo and behold there is a movement all around the world and people have been working on this for 10 20 30 years scientists on how to stop aging how to replace organs because most people die from organ failure and you know how to essentially keep people living longer and longer and longer and the goal is to eventually make it so that we don't die and so that it was that landmine experience in vietnam that really set me down the road of transhumanism though right I, I, you know i find it interesting that you're that the that you are running for uh the republican nomination for president and i, I when i think of these kinds of ideas uh, specifically about the transhumanist and, and the sort of living forever i can almost hear in my head a typical quote typical republican saying you're playing god so like the fusion here of science and almost republicanism seems seems almost like a tenuous marriage so it almost makes you more unique are, are you running into this 
pushback of of the typical sort of uh you can't play God kind of thing that's unnatural, the kind of almost rooted, rooted in religious argument against you, uh, especially as you're on the ground uh, facing Republicans, I would imagine, every day. Uh, I would imagine there's there's quite a bit of pushback. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no question that the great majority of Republicans don't um, share my message. And the, the bigger question is, why did I run for the Republican Party? Well, um, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm totally socially liberal. And that's really the transhumanism part is like, you know, we we, we are people that want to become a fish or become machines. So we're way beyond like, you know, discrimination or bigotry. And we're just so totally open minded as a, as a movement. Right. However, you know, I, I think it's important that what happens is like environmentalism is a movement, another social movement that's totally owned by the left. And I don't want transhumanism to be totally owned by the left as it is. I would like a better balance. So that's one of the reasons I ran as a Republican to try to balance that out. Cause honestly, most transhumanists are quite left leaning. Um, and I think the other reason is because honestly, Republicans need to hear this message more than anyone. They're the ones who are on usually afraid of science. They're the, usually the anti-tech people. So they need to hear this message, I think, more than the Democrats. And, you know, you can see me as sort of a Trojan horse in the Republican Party, but that's OK. I'm, I'm not here to necessarily cause trouble. I'm here to open people's eyes. And I want the Republican Party to say, you know what, we can get on board of transhumanism. You know, for me, it's not about politics. I'm not really a political person right. in terms of party. I'm just about how can we make people live a lot longer? How can we make it so we don't have any disease on planet Earth? And how can we make it so everybody has prosperity? And I don't care what party we use to achieve that. Right. You know, so that that's really the goals of transhumanism. It's not it can't be broken into parties in, in the in the deeper sense. Right. You know, I. I, the way I think of almost every because I've 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 heard a lot uh, of what you have to say. I've read I've read your work. I I, I the, my feeling is very strongly that that whether we like what you have to say, whether we uh, want what the things that you say are possible to be possible, they just are and and are going to increasingly be so, and the market will allow for it some way or another. If we put regulations on it, let's say, the rest of the world isn't guaranteed to put regulations on it. So to me, it's almost like all of the things that are going to happen technologically that can happen w actually will happen. And so whether we want this sort of coming fusion with machines or however we want to put it, I don't see how there's even a way around that. So my arrival to your ideas is less of do I support your vision or do I not support your vision? I just look at you and I say, he actually is seeing what's coming in a way that many people are not talking about uh, because it, it seems maybe it's politically not viable to talk about it for some of the reasons that we're discussing now. It's something that scares people. It's not something that people are necessarily ready for or seeing in their everyday life. So when they hear you talk about, you know, living forever or anything like that, they, I think it has the potential to sort of turn them away and say, I don't want that. But I, I fully believe that this stuff is going to happen. And the question is, what are we going to do in the face of it? And are we going to embrace it or not? And I don't see how, I don't even see how it's framed as a choice for a lot of people. A lot of these things are just inevitable. A lot of the things you talk about are inevitable. If they're going to work, then they will be done and the market will sell it as such. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. This isn't a question of whether it happens. This is a question of when. And unfortunately, you know, you touched on a pretty big point, you know, 
even like let's say go back to the debate to 2016 with Hillary and Trump, mm-hmm. you know, there was no discussion of science because science is kind of crazy, especially in the modern world. You right. know, it's like it's pretty tough stuff to understand. Our world is changing so dramatically. The microprocessor is exponentially growing. We're mm-hmm. going to have an artificial intelligence on planet Earth in the next 10 or 20 years that's smarter than human beings. I mean, this is pretty crazy stuff. It doesn't go well over with voters. I mean, right. just think of the Iowa caucuses. They can't even get simple <laughs> voting apps to work, let alone dealing with like an artificial intelligence that's going to be smarter than any other person on planet Earth. So it doesn't work well when you talk about it with politicians. But despite that, where I live in San Francisco, mm-hmm. politicians are not they are pouring hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars into these technology. There are 20 startups a day that happen in Silicon Valley around these technologies. And, you know, that means 10000 a year. So people don't really get it like this is yeah. going to happen. There's so much money flowing into these ideas. We better get hold of it. Otherwise, it can go the wrong way very quickly. And I don't like regulation very much. But look, when it comes to artificial intelligence being smarter than me, I think we better regulate it because it might just decide like Terminator to terminate us. So there are there are some very real reasons to discuss this and have Congress put on some real regulations. So, yeah, I mean, this is an important, utterly important subject, life changing subject. Right. I mean, it seems like the kind of thing that could could easily become the front and center greatest concern for everyone on Earth immediately and anything like that 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 can change the world so rapidly and so extremely i think it's something that needs to be at least prepared for you know even if it's not going to be a full-on embrace as you know you're talking about i just don't know how realistic it is for the country to get behind that fully but to fully prepare for it to sort of pull the curtain back and say okay well these things are gonna happen what are potential solutions and and i know you know more about this stuff than a lot of people but i think Broadly, what, what, how do you have like a broad approach to these kinds of technologies that are coming so fast, whether it be biomechanics or, or, uh, biohacking or nanotechnology, these kinds of things? There's so much of it, but do you have like a broad sort of philosophy on how you well, face I, them? It, yeah. It, it, yeah, I, I do. And, and look, you know, when you look at history, when you look at why people are living longer, why people have more wealth, why the mortality rate of children has dropped, and all these other things. I mean, no matter, I know it doesn't seem perfect to maybe a lot of your listeners, but life on a statistical scale has improved broadly for every single person on the planet, essentially, or very close to that right. uh, over the last few decades. And, 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 and that has happened for a very singular reason. It's because science and technology has made it into the hands of the average person you know the average person now has vaccines and therefore they don't die from polio when they're four and therefore they can live out their entire lives i mean these are these are important things but the point i'm trying to get to is i when i look at technologies and these new things coming through the very first thing everybody wants to do like genetic editing is put a moratorium on it right i don't look at that i look at it like wait a sec the very first thing i want to do is let the marketplace take care of the science and start creating products around it because I know that genetic editing, what it's going to do is start removing cancer on a hereditary level from people. It's going to make the blind see people that want to have designer babies and let's say have taller children or whatever. They can do that. I mean, there's a whole world of possibilities as we usher in the transhumanist future. And I want the marketplace to take care of that. Like the marketplace has done everything. Now, there might be some inequality that happens, and that's when the government can step in and say to the poor people, well, we're going to also give you grants or we're going to give you this technology for free or whatever. 
But the bottom line is right now, let's say genetic editing, for example, is the most transformative, I'd mm -hmm. say, science of the last decade. And, um, you know, the, the world essentially has put bans on a lot of it. Yeah. We have bans on cloning. We have bans on this. And in the meantime, so, you know, this same thing happened with George W. Bush um, uh, with stem cells. You know, right. he, because of the abortion issue, he put, a, he put a ban for federal funding for seven years. And you know what happened? The only thing that happened is millions of people around the world lost the opportunity yeah. to be cured from, a, from a, a, a medical procedure that we now use widely 20 years later. And the only thing is the world lost eight years of research because America decided to put its foot down and stop the funding. And that's what happens when you do moratoriums. I understand some regulation is necessary. That's fine. But what other people are doing is trying to, like, stop it outright. They're trying to stop genetically right. edited babies like they did in China. You know, they, this, guy, this doctor tried to make it so that these children wouldn't get HIV. I mean, that's a pretty noble thing, in my opinion. Unfortunately, you know, <laughs> send that guy to jail. That's right. what China did. They put the doctor in jail. And then, of course, around the world, everyone condemned him. But I was like, hey, that guy's a hero to me. <laughs> right, he, right. You know, he, he's trying to make it so children don't die from a terrible disease. Have you ever seen someone die? die from hiv yeah it's it's, it's know, really yeah. sad sight it's, so why not do that with you know why not uh, support these things but unfortunately um you know we have a a culture that it's like uh you know shoot first look later in terms of brand new innovation and we should we should be more open-minded to it i'm very sad that we're not yeah it's interesting i wonder if it i mean I, it, it seems twofold a bit. I mean, it seems rooted in this sort of religi religious type of thinking where playing God is the greatest no-no. But in a lot of ways, we've already played God throughout our history. But I also think there's this, it's almost this bearing down of things that, whether it's movies or books, science fiction, that has told us our whole lives, even through pop culture, that that these are things that that will go wrong right but i even and and i think the moral of those that people a lot of people take away they're so inundated with that sort of idea that we need to be careful of this tech playing god is the wrong thing but it i still think that's it's almost framed the wrong way because as you're saying and as as i think as well these things are just going to happen and it's a matter of how they happen and so to reject it outright to put a moratorium on it it's just like well that's it's, it's just going to work out worse. And as you were saying specifically about the stem cell, it's just going to delay the process of figuring it out in the first place. And meanwhile, people will be suffering, actual living people, not people in the future. And it is a strange thing to just reject it out of hand. Uh, as much as I do get – the one thing I do get and I wanted to ask you about is you, you mentioned it uh, about, about inequality and the possibility of genetic editing leading to sort of – uh, I, I guess, you know, assuming that the, the procedures or, or the operations, whatever it is, are expensive, that only wealthy people will be able to afford it and they will be perpetuating their offspring into the world as sort of superior beings, however, designed in a certain way to be superior in certain ways. And the widening gap there, the potential widening gap there seems like uh, an area of concern that I really actually do understand about all this. So how, what do you think if, is there like a, a specific way that you would plan on handling that, that you foresee it going? Because I, I think that that one seems a bit front and center to me, uh, from what I can, uh, glean from the subject. Well, you know, I think in America, this is a serious issue because we don't have, um, you know, we have private insurance, so people can only really afford what they can afford. But right. in the rest of the West and most of the world, there's socialized 
health insurance. So if there is some type of treatment like this, it's probably going to get covered by the socialized medical system, uh, which could be very interesting because America with its private insurance, we might have, end up with all the, the dumb people because the rest of the socialized medicine right. world has now you know, said, yes, we could all use genetic editing. That could be uh, the irony of our private system. That's interesting, but yeah. That, that, that said, I think ultimately I would, you know, as, as a presidential candidate, and even though I don't like regulations, I think it would be important for the government to stand up and nonprofit to say, look, if the poor can't afford certain types of genetic treatments that the rich are having that's making it totally disadvantageous to living and working and things like that, then the government needs to sort of step in and offer that somehow as a freebie. But at the same time, you know, it's such an interesting world we live in because – Okay, let's say here in three, four years, we're going to have the ability to, uh, at the, on the embryonic stage, genetically edit a brain uh, for, from our embryo, and then that kid turns out with an IQ of 160. Probably, though, within five to seven years, we're going to have brain implants like Elon Musk is working mm-hmm. on that connect us to the Internet, and that'll make us even smarter than the person with 160 IQ through the biology. So it's really not even, you know, you can, you can alter the genes as much as you want, but it's mm. probably really going to be the headsets, the access to different types of technology. And we see that right now already, the discrepancy, the inequality. But in all honesty, even the poorest people in America often have access to the same iPhone that, you know, Donald Trump's staff right, would right, have, let's yeah. say. So the marketplace in a matter of years, literally just a few years, usually can work out a pretty good solution where everybody has access to such life-changing technology. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone gets to drive a Ferrari, of course, but the reality is that, you know, a lot of people will drive an other car, and it, it's good enough to get to point A to point B. And I think, um, you, know, the, the, you know, the marketplace will take care of most of it. And for those that are really left behind, I think that the government should probably get involved. So, Because the last thing I want to do as a transhumanist is sort of create this great dystopia where we have the haves and the have-nots. I mean, we already have the haves and the have-nots, right. but it's going to be something totally different when you have, you know, genetically modified brains and someone has an IQ of 160 and someone has an IQ of 80. That, that's, you know, now now it's, it's really become unfair. So I think at some point we have to be fair mm-hmm. in order to, as a kind of a species, to say we all want to move forward together. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, I mean, I think that, I think the way people think of it in in the present about this coming technology, they might think it's very far off or or not really have a sense of when it's coming. But just looking at recent past, how much technology has changed, just the devices in our pockets, all, a lot of things have become possible. VR headsets, uh, video VR video games, all these things have sort of come further along. It, t- timetable wise, like so, wh- wh- how how quickly upon us do you think a lot of these things? Are because I've heard you talk about the uh, the rapidity of of, of uh, which these things sort of tend to accelerate, and um, I feel like a lot of these things are might be coming actually sooner than people uh, are ready for or understanding that they're coming. So I, I, I'm I'm curious as to what you think is like the next wave of things that we should be prepared for or should be trying to get prepared for and and sort of are blind to at this moment. Well, so look, I think there's a there's a good chance that robots and automation replace the majority of jobs in the next 10, 20 and 30 years. There's, uh, you know, uh, there's a good chance of that because yeah. robot technology increasing so much. However, um, and that's why, you know, people like my storefoot self and maybe Andrew Yang, we would support a basic income. However, there's also a chance 
that because of companies like Neuralink that Elon Musk is running and Brian Johnson's company, Kernel, and all these other brainwave technology companies, that we may be able to tie our brains directly into machine interface here. And then, I mean, Elon Musk says he's going to have a product that's being tested on human beings next year already. Wow. So that means, you know, and we already have a number of brain implants and people that deal with dementia, cochlear implants, other types of things. So we, we already, you know, have half a million people around the world that have some type of brain implant uh, mm-hmm. in them. So the, the point, though, is that the this type of technology that puts our mind in the internet, so you and I can have this telephone call without actually even saying words, without wires, without holding a device, just in our heads, this could be here in five years. But it's going to have a huge effect in terms of working because if we can think sort of as fast as the robots and then still maybe have the creativity and the emotion that we have, because mm-hmm. we're not sure we can really program that yet right. into robots, then we might actually be better than the robots for, for many years. Now, I'm yeah. not saying indefinitely. Don't get me wrong. I, I think at some point <laughs> AI just leaves us behind. But, you know, this idea that 10, 20, 30 years, all jobs will be lost by robots, we may be able to say keep this off for 50, 70, 80 years because we sort of start merging ourselves with machines and become sort of a cyborg. At some point, the, the AI becomes better than the cyborg. But there right. is this possibility that these kind of brainwave technologies and implants and headsets will keep us in the workforce for a lot longer than I think some of the experts are predicting right now. And I think, you know, probably within five to seven years, you're going to have Wall Street traders, just to give you a timeline, yeah. Wall Street traders that are putting on these things and literally trading in real time with machine intelligence on these stocks. And and that's, you know, because I think they're being sort of replaced at the moment already, these mid-level traders. So, you know, if in five years this is already happening, we're talking a quick timeline for a lot of jobs being being changed. And this is important for journalism. This is important for podcasting. This is important for everything. You know, just the less technology and the less accessories the quicker and more streamlined everything will become. So I think within 10 years, you have a huge change in all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it really does seem like a thing that has, is, is, is going to affect so many other sectors uh, than the ones we might immediately think of. I, 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 I feel like there's no way around the, the wide reaching nature of this. And, and you mentioned the thing that uh, I think, I think people, when they think of AI and they think of machines and men in the future and they, or mankind rather, they think of it's, it's like this us versus them thing, but you're talking about an actual fusion and it might get to the point where there actually isn't that much of a distinct difference between the, th- the two things. I mean, as we go along incrementally and we sort of fuse, uh, more and more with the machine, it, be- it begs the question, when exactly is the machine ending? When are we a machine? And, and then even more so, how much does that specific question, that specific f- lens through which we were looking at it, actually even matter in the day-to-day of it, you know? Well, yeah, no, and I mean, some people like to define a true cyborg as someone who has over 50% of their body that's synthetic or machine-made. And others just saying, hey, I have a chip in my hand. I'm sort of a cyborg. But I mean, you know, I think it's really when you start messing with the brain and you tap into the AI and that becomes, you know, the encyclopedias in your head, that that really has crossed a different road already. And I'd say that's pretty pretty much an AI age. You've entered a different age. Right. 
Right, right, right. Is there something that you actually, uh, especially, you know, you entering politics with with this philosophy, I find very, very interesting because it sort of might force you to look at it in a certain way. I mean, you've already talked about solving potential inequalities that, that it might bring about and things like this. Is there is there a prime sort of blind spot that we have, whether it's on one side or the other, uh, uh, the people say, waving it off and saying, no, 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 don't bring it on, or the people that are diving right into it and really deeply exploring this stuff? Is there a blind spot that you think actually you're seeing that might, that might not be obvious to uh, someone who's more of just uh, looking in from the outside? Well, I think the blind spot that most people don't really get is, is that, you know, exponentially, our, our brains don't work exponentially. We, we don't have an opportunity to understand how, I guess, a microprocessor can double every 18 months or 24 months. And you have, because our brains think linearly. And, and you need to understand that in the last 50 years, like things have been growing exponentially in terms of the microprocessor. So whatever happens in the next 10 years is going to be, at least twice as radical as what happened in the last 20 and then further on, you know, and, and, and further on and further on. And, right. you know, they're talking about, for example, with Bitcoin, the new Google quantum computers can a matter in a matter of something like two or three seconds, uh, mine all the Bitcoin in the world, which most people think right now would take 30 or 40 years. And they're talking about mining it in two or three seconds. I mean, we're, this is like how radical some of these new technologies are that we're talking about like we, we can't even begin to understand we already have supercomputers that do um I, I think 130 trillion calculations per second 130 trillion calculations per second and um so if you just take that out even 20 years you're talking about a number that nobody's brain can really fathom anymore i mean it's already hard enough to fathom 130 <laughs> uh, trillion right you yeah know? totally <laughs> So anyways, like, and, and that's already what we have today in terms of America's uh, biggest uh, supercomputers. So what's going to happen in 20 years? I mean, yeah. we, we're, we're just talking about an intelligence, and that's what they call the singularity. Right. At some point, our brains can no longer, the three pounds of meat that we carry on our shoulders can no longer understand the complexity of the, of the digital world, uh, of the data world that we're talking about, because it just becomes so big and complex and fast. And I think if we don't merge with it, we just get totally left behind because we need to be able to keep our consciousness and our understanding built into that system. Not sure it's even possible, right? But uh, you know, I mean, that's that's that would be the goal. And what is it? it because I, I I would imagine. I mean, a lot of the things that you're talking about, you know, sound even extreme to me. And this is someone who tries as much as he can to keep up on these kinds of things. To someone who might just be going about their day. And not really think about this stuff too much because maybe because when they do, it actually scares them and makes them a little uneasy, anxious, whatever. What, how, how would you ask or advise that person to think of what's coming and what is inevitably coming as we've discussed? Well, I think the most important thing is just people just have to sort of focus on what has happened in the past. Like, you know, when I say we're going to live forever, you know, and overcome disease, people think, oh, that's the stupidest thing I ever thought. What they don't realize is that the average lifespan at age in the 1900s, uh, you know, 1900 exactly was about 41. And now the average lifespan is about 82, uh, 120 you know, uh, years later. So 
that's exponential growth. And if that continues to happen, our lifespans will probably go from 80 to 160 within the next sort of 50 years and, uh, you know, or, or 60 years. And uh, that's what I'm trying to like talk to people about is like, wow, living to 160 is dramatically different in terms of social institutions, in terms of whether you get married, in terms of when you have kids, because all of a sudden we can keep the body younger, healthier. And then, of course, you only need another 20 years of technology before like we start merging with AI and we have all the genetic editing technology. So, it, you know, we live in this really weird zone where if you can if you can live for the next 20, 30 years, you have a very good chance of living forever if you want. And, and the planet doesn't do something stupid to itself or the species doesn't because we're going to have so much crazy technology that's so many crazy things that we're going to be able to transform ourselves. So we're going to enter into the Star Wars age where right. we don't have to be camp. You know, we might not even want to be robots or AI. We can just become different biological creatures. I already got friends that are trying to splice plant DNA into their skin so that they can walk out in the sun and photosynthesize. And therefore, they don't have to eat lunch anymore. They get their energy from the sun. Now, there are experiments at universities <laughs> going on like this yeah. because that's how some radical some of these ideas are. Now, no one's been able to do that yet right but i mean i i have no doubt at some point you know we're looking at a future of like x-men you know i mean right. this this is probably going to happen within the next 10 20 30 40 years and i know you got to run i know you're a busy guy but one last thing i'm just curious when you're on the ground face to face talking to these people and they're they might not be ready to hear what you have to say what is the act the, the naked pure reaction that you tend to get to people who, when you're bringing these sort of to to someone's consciousness who might not usually be thinking about this kind of stuff, I'm just curious. Well, so if if I just say to them like what I've been saying to you, then they sort of freak out, and some of them are like, you know what, we don't even want you here. However, I usually say, look, my name is Zoltan Ishwan. I've you know worked for many years as a journalist. That includes many years in National Geographic. Recently, I've been writing opinion pieces for the New York Times. You know, I'm an Ivy League grad. I've done this and that and spoken to the World Economic Forum. I have to lay out the credibility because if I don't do that, people literally will think I'm crazy. But once they know, like, okay, he's worked in National Geographic, they sort of start getting the bigger picture, like, I'm going to listen to this guy because, after all, some of these journalism companies do, you know, they talk about crazy things, but they've been right, right. in the past. And then they start to get it a little bit more. And, of course, as a presidential candidate, they know that I, you know, obviously not going to beat Trump for the GOP nomination. Sure. However, they're interested in saying, well, is this a part of the Republican Party? And if it's not, will the Democrats take it and will they beat us because they took it and we didn't? So then it becomes a more practical thing. And this is when it becomes really interesting. We haven't talked about this, but I'll just briefly say it. One of the most important things about transhumanism is that at this moment in time, China sort of owns the, the technology, owns the greatest genetic editing technology, owns right. some of the best AI engineers, and they're leading the world in this stuff. And so if America really wants to remain the leader of the world, it's going to have to pick up its pace of innovation because otherwise we have an authoritarian nation, China, that's going to be leading the world down this path. And that's probably not how most um, you know supporters of democracy like myself would like to see the transhumanist movement unfold. So, you know, it's 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 not whether even Republicans or Democrats like transhumanism. It's what we need to do to make sure America remains on top and that democracy is how the transhumanist agenda unfolds. And that's really 
when I start talking about it in that way, then all of a sudden everybody says, okay, wait a sec. Now we're going to listen to the guy because this is not just about whether it's crazy ideas or not. This is about the future of our country. And, you know, lo and behold, we better not let, get lost in science. After all, everybody knows how important science is in terms of how America really became this great country to begin with. Yeah, I mean, that, is, that truly is the dystopian vision. I mean, if, it, if this was allowed to be led by, and, uh, by a group with the wrong hands or a nation uh, who, uh, who sort of leans authoritarian, especially as much as China, that's where it can really go dystopian. And that is the thing to try to fight against more than anything else in this uh, arena, I think. So I fully am on board with that. Zoltan, I, I mean, I agree with so much of what you're saying. I think what you're doing more than anything else is supremely important. So thank you. Uh, and thanks for your time, man. I really, really, really appreciate it. Hey, it's my, my pleasure. It's been great talking to you, and uh, I hope your listeners enjoyed it. Yeah. Also, oh, wait, do you have a, a website, all that stuff that they can go to to check out more of you? Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, for anyone that wants to know, my website is Zoltan2020.com. However, uh, my own personal website with a lot of other interviews and a lot of articles I've written, so I've written about 200 opinion essays over the last five, six years, is ZoltanIshman.com. And frankly, if you just want to find out more about transhumanism, you can just Google my name and transhumanism or Google my name and National Geographic. You should find out all this uh, fun stuff because there's a lot of stuff out there. And so, you know, and of course, I'm on a number of major ballots. And if you're in New Hampshire in the in the next few days, vote for me. And of course, I'll be on the ballot, California, Texas, Colorado, Oklahoma, other places. So, you know, just uh, check me out in case uh, in case you want to vote for me. Hell yeah. Thank you so much, Zoltan. And good luck out there, man. Appreciate your time. Hey, th- yeah, thank you so much. Da 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 da